Uh, I've entitled this message today, How to Respond to Tragedy. Um, we had a great get-together last night. One of our families that we've walked a lot of life with, um, the Kreths. We had kind of a after-the-fact reception for their daughter, Julia. And Julia married Roston. Both those kids grew up in this church. Uh, and it's so neat to see their story come together. So um, they had gotten married earlier during, during uh, COVID and then decided they would do a reception now that things have loosened up a little bit. So when I got there, um, I got to meet and, and reacquaint myself with a dear friend of mine in the Kreth family. Now the Kreths referred to him as the most excellent Uncle David. <laughs> and he is Winston Kreth's younger brother. And everybody loves Uncle David. And he's a unique man, truly is. Um, so I, I, as soon as I saw him, I went over to him, I shook his hand, he said, how are you doing? I said, good, how are you? And then he looked at me and he, and he asked me this question with a very serious look. He said, how's your soul? And I looked him in the eye and I said, troubled. trouble for several reasons not the least of which if you have not heard it yet most of you have right over here in the parking lot where the ball basketball goal is a young man was murdered Friday night right in a church parking lot Montavious Reigns one of the boys plays basketball here right here in the church parking lot. 18 years old. His life is cut short. By an act of violence. On church ground. Earlier this week on Tuesday... I was up in what my children like to call dark morning, and I got in the woods in the dark. I wanted to start the day in the woods. Got up a tree and didn't hardly turn light, and an unfortunate deer stepped out. So I helped him out of his trouble in this earth. <laughs> Threw him in my truck, thanks to my son-in-law, Joseph. And I was driving to um, Joseph's place, and just down the street is his dad, and he was going to help me uh, clean this deer. And I had texted Anna, and I said, Anna, I'm going to be there shortly. I want to show this deer to my grandchildren. And she said, oh, we're fixing to leave. We're, we got a school function. Oh, that's too bad. So I'm on the road called Golden Isle Parkway going to Anna's house. Um, no, when she, I, I was expecting to meet her coming the other way. And the sheriff's department had the whole thing blocked and had a detour. And I had that, th I thought, hmm, there must be an accident up there. And then what do you think I'm thinking? Yeah, yeah. yeah I know she's going that, going that way. So they detoured us around, and when we came back up, we literally, I'm glad I had my truck, we had to cross over the grass median, and I looked over, and Anna drives, um, I'm trying to think of the kind of car it is. Is it an Acura? It's a late model Acura. And as I'm, I'm trying to navigate this ditch, and I look over, 
and it's and it's kind of got a gray faded gray hood and I look over and it's it's that car and there's an SUV on top of it and it's crushed down to the frame nobody in that car is surviving so what do you what would you do I pull as soon as I got over I pulled right over and hardly got my truck in park and I'm calling her and it rings four times and goes to voicemail. Um, panic is beginning to take over my mind. I text her, call me right away. I Facebook messaged her. Messenger, how do you say that? Anyway, I messaged her on Facebook. I said, I need, a, I need you to call me right away. I'm fine, but there's a terrible wreck and I need, I need to make sure it's not you. It looks like your car. And then I try to call her again, nothing. And I don't know, it wasn't that long, but it was about a minute, and I'm, I'm, I was going to go up and take a picture of the car. I couldn't even bring myself to walk around that corner and see it. Nobody came out of that alive. And my phone rang, and it was Anna. Right? Weird thing. So I'm, I'm a mess. And I'm so relieved. And then it hits me. Okay, so it's not my Anna, but somebody's loved one's not coming out of that car alive. And if they had all their babies, those babies probably didn't make it either. I literally thought I lost my daughter. Whew. Three grandkids. So I felt this weird mix of relief and guilt. Because somebody lost somebody. This has been a week of tragedy, whether by accident or act of violence. What do you do with that? And this is why, beloved, you need to read your Bible every day and get this book in your head. Because as I'm pondering this out, as I'm crying out to the Lord, what do we do? What do we do? What is all this? How do we move forward? What are we supposed to do with this? Guess what comes to my mind? God's Word. The Holy Spirit reminds me of Luke 13. And Jesus gives us an answer for both of these things, for senseless acts of violence and accidents in a fallen world. Could not be clearer. And the only reason this came to my mind is because this book is in my mind. And it's not going to get there sitting on your shelf. You've got to open it up and let it get into you. Amen? Yeah. Read the Bible daily. And not just a verse. Read a bunch of it every day. And God just brought this to my mind. And I had a whole other sermon, Thanksgiving Sunday. It was great. And I had to write this sermon quickly yesterday. So are you there, Luke 13? Say amen. amen. Here we go. I need to give you a little context. So Jesus is having this kind of longer, longish discussion. Bad chapter break right here. I'll be honest with you, most of the chapter breaks are bad, except for Psalms. <laughs> you agree, Pastor Nick? Bad, bad scribes. So this starts back in chapter 12. So he's having this long discussion. If you look at what he's talking about, he's talking about the judgment of God and how do we get ready for that? What's the smart thing to do? 
And so apparently in the midst of this, because Jesus isn't preaching, he's talking, he's having a conversation. Someone tells him about this tragic event that took place recently in current events. And, um, and they're expecting Jesus to respond a certain way, and he does not. By the way, should that surprise us? No. So, so that's the context. So they told him about this horrible thing that happened with these worshipers in Galilee. And, and Jesus answers shocks. So with that in mind, we're going to read verse 1 through 9. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do, do you all suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? Verse 3. And I think Jesus had a pregnant pause there and let people ponder that because that's pretty much what they thought. Jesus says, I tell you, what's that word, church? No. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus brings up another current event. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do, do, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Pregnant pause. I tell you, what church? No. But unless you, what? Repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he tells this story that is absolutely connected. I'm going to show you how in a minute. And he, verse 6, he also spoke this parable. And as I read it, see if you can make the connection to verse 3 and 5. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found how much? None. Cut it down. Why is it used up the ground? Yeah, that's good land management, right? But look what the keeper says. But he, the keeper, the guy who works up here, but he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, or good. But if not, after that, notice what he says, after that, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Do you see the connection here? So the people around him have told him this current event thing that happened in Galilee. Now, what you have to understand too, some of these people weren't, were, were Jesus' detractors, his enemies. And um, Galilee was in the north, just so happened to be that's where Jesus was from. And so they tell him this current event, this thing that just happened. Apparently there was this group of Galileans and um, they were kind of part of a rebel group that rebelled against Rome. And so Pilate, who was, had a, was notoriously a, a very vindictive, uh, cruel 
governor. Um, he waited until one of the holy days when he knew that, that these Galileans would be coming to Jerusalem with a, with, with a sacrifice, a sacrificial animal. And, what it, and when it says that he mingled their blood with their sacrifice, what it kind of looks like is literally he gets, he gets his, his hit team, his assassins, soldiers, and literally while they are catching the blood from the animal they're sacrificing, they get their throats slit and their blood mingles with the blood of their own sacrifice. It was a hit job and he wiped them all out. A, a violent act. And again, it's a little throwing a little bit of shade on Jesus because Jesus was a Galilean. You know, these are your people. And I think what they're wanting to do, constantly trying to trip him up, is they're wanting him to denounce Pilate for doing such a heinous and horrible thing in a sacred place where the sacrifices are, are given to God. It sure reminds me of the senseless sacrifice that took place in this parking lot Friday night. That a young man playing basketball is murdered shot multiple times right there in a sacred place. And they expected Jesus to take Pilate to task. But boy, does he surprise them. He says, you suppose that all these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because, they, because this happened to them? Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about this news coming to Jesus, he said, this was a matter of common town talk. So of course they brought the news to Jesus. Notice how wisely he used this shameful incident. And may God help us to do the same. Amen? You and I too often hear the news of what is happening, but we learn nothing from it. Our Savior's gracious mind turned everything to good account he was like the bee that gathers honey from every flower. Isn't that wise? So from this tragedy, Jesus is going to use it to bring a vital message for his hearers and for you and I today. So Jesus comments on the incident, but not as the reporters had expected. Instead of the denunciation of Pilate, he turned it into a parable for their own conduct and the uncertainty of life. And beloved, I believe that's how we should respond to tragedy. Just like Jesus did. Let's, you can't go wrong doing what Jesus did. Amen? So look at verse 2. He says in verse 2, And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose... Let's stop right there. That word, suppose. Have you ever supposed something? <laughs> And have your, have, your, have your supposition ever been wrong? Here, here, here's a definition. Suppose means to assume that something is the case on the basis of evidence or probability, but without proof or certain knowledge. Their supposition, a belief held without proof, was based on their false theology. Just jot this down in your outline. John chapter 9 and verse 2. And that's when the disciples came to Jesus. They saw a blind man. Do you remember what, what, what they said? Asked Jesus, well, this blind man, who did sin that this man was born blind? Did he sin or did mom and dad sin? 
Do you all remember this? This was typical. It was called retribution theology. And a lot of you have it still. It's the cause and effect of the world. And it was deeply embedded in the Jewish mindset. And it was this. It was this. It was that if you do good, God blesses you. But if bad things happen to you, it's because God is judging you. That's why when Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the, the kingdom of heaven than, than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, his, all of his followers were dismayed. Why? Because if they believed the rich were rich because they were, because they were righteous. It was God paying them back for their good works. That's why they were wealthy. And now Jesus turns around and says, yeah, those people aren't making it. What? And what did his disciples say? Well, well then who's going? <laughs> If they aren't going, then who's going? Because I'm so poor. Obviously, I'm a sinner and in trouble. Those guys are closer to heaven than me, and Jesus flips the script. It's the upside-down kingdom, folks. And that's what we live in. So they supposed, through false theology, reminds me of when the blind English poet John Milton uh, was old and obscure. He was visited one day by Charles II, son of the king that the Puritans had beheaded. Your blindness is a judgment from God for the part you took against my father, said the king. Milton replied, if I have lost my sight through God's judgment, what can you say of your father who lost his head? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so if this, if this thing's about retribution, here's the, here's, the, here's the craziness about retribution theology. In other words, if bad things happen to you, it's because of your sin. Y'all listening to me? Here's the deal. If God wants to judge you because of your sin, what is he waiting for? He's God. If retribution theology is true, nobody should be alive. Amen? Crazy thought, but this is what, this is what Jesus is saying. I know, he said, I know what you people are thinking. You're thinking these were the worst sinners in all of Galilee, so God brought his judgment down on them as they sacrificed these animals. And, Jesus, and look, look at verse 3. He just blows this out of the water. I tell you what? No. Now you've got to imagine the shock of surprise on the faces of the hearers when Jesus said no. Because their retribution theology called for a yes. Are you, are you with me? You understand? Their mindset and what they believed about God, that, that should have been answered with a hearty. Absolutely. Of course they were the worst sinners. And Jesus says, no. And not only did he say no, he says it in a certain way in the Greek language. Um, that is, I'm going to read this to you. His no was the no of absolute negation and was emphatically the first word in the Greek sentence, signifying absolutely not. In the New American Standard, it says, by no means. So this is, this is not just no. This is the emphatic no, and they would have heard it that way. These Galileans who died at the hands of Pilate were not greater sinners than all the other Galileans. Their problem was the same as that of all men. They were sinners in need of a Savior, in need of salvation. Now, sinners may escape calamities and bad things, but they will not escape the horrible judgment of God in hell for eternity unless they repent. And that includes you, and that includes me today. 
I tell you no, but unless, and underline that in your Bible, unless you repent, you will all, all of you, likewise, it doesn't just say die, what does it say? Perish. That's an indication of eternity in hell under the complete and full and constant judgment of God. But oh, I want you to see the mercy of God in this. God uses calamities uses tragedy to remind all people that death is often an imminent surprise for which they need to be prepared. And my question is, are you? Are you prepared to die? We need to heed the exhortation of Jim Elliot, the missionary and martyr, when he said this, when it comes time to die... Make sure that all you have to do is die. You hear that? When it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. Because your record's clean. Amen? Your relationships are right. So that when it comes time for you to die, you just have to die. Because we don't know when and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Same thing with the tower. We're going to get to that in a second. Same exact verse in verse 5. Let me tell you a couple things about repentance. Number one, repentance, as he says here, is not optional. It's obligatory. We are obligated to repent. That's the message that John the Baptist started preaching. And when he got thrown in jail, guess who picked up the same message? Jesus his cousin. And Jesus picked up the message that said, repent because the kingdom of God is here. Repent. God's here. It's not optional. God is not giving you a choice. He said, you are obligated because I made you and I sent my son to die in your place. You must repent. Amen? Amen? Whoever perpetrated this heinous crime in this parking lot Friday night, they must repent. It's not optional. And as we sat around that table in there this morning, the early people, with our heads and our hands and tears flowing from our eyes, we repented for not reaching those people in the first place. That happened on our watch. Those kids have been playing ball out there for almost a year. And all we've done is pick up their trash, which has been frustrating. But you know what? I'd rather pick up their trash than pick up their bodies. Because that's a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. We must repent or we will all likewise perish. So repentance is not optional. It's obligatory. Well, let me, let's go to this next one. Repentance and how it operates in your outline this morning. How does repentance operate? Well, I think there are at least four factors that God uses from Scripture that I can see to, to, to prompt our repentance, to bring repentance about. And I, and I want to say right here super clear. I believe... 
and, and, and you could disagree with me, but I believe that repentance is not something that you can gin up or choose. I think it's a gift of God. But all oh, what God commands, He provides for. Amen? So when God commands us to repent, He's going to provide that ability, but God's got to do it. Amen? How is it that we can sit under the declaration of the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in someone's place, someone the like of you? You can sit under this and hear it year after year. You can live in homes of parents who weep for your salvation, and yet you can sit in this church and be so unmoved by the gospel and so full of yourself. I'll tell you how you can do that. Because you have not sought the gift of repentance yet. And you must do that. You must do it today. Or you will all likewise perish. Four factors. Number one, the knowledge of God's truth prompts repentance. How many of you know that's true? What did David say? Your word have I hid where? In my heart to, to the end that what? I might not sin against you. The more you know about who God is, the more you know His Word, the more it's in you, the more it is going to be a stopgap between you and sin. And when you do sin, the more God's Word is going to drive you to repentance. Here's another one. Oh, I want to say something there. We've we got to note the deception that can be in that, though. Because one can have the truth as well as the second which is sorrow. I'll get to that in a minute. But you can have the truth and sorrow, but still not have biblical godly repentance. It's not just knowing it's wrong. It's not even being sorry for it. We're going to see that here in a second. That's the second one. Sorrow for sin can lead to repentance. Jot this reference down. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 7, verses 9 through 10. Here's what the Word of God says. Open your ears and heart to receive it today. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, Paul says to the church, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of this world produces death. So I know that knowing the truth, you'll know the truth or truth will set you free. Your word have I hid in my heart and night by sin against you and godly sorrow can lead to repentance. And here's one, here's my one I love so much and I, I did not see this to be true for so many years. Just jot this down in Romans 2 and 4. Chapter 2 verse 4. God's kindness leads to repentance. Amen. Kindness of Almighty God. And Paul says that just so beautifully and plainly in that Romans 2 and 4. It's your kindness that leads to repentance. How are you glad God is kind? Amen? And number four, the fear of judgment can motivate one to true repentance. Look at Acts 17, 30-31. The fear of that final judgment of standing before God. There's a tender balance there, but here's the truth. Do you realize that one day you will stand before God and you will give an account for your life? 
and you will stand clothed in your own deeds as filthy rags or you will stand clothed in the righteousness of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us or you will stand there knowingly having rejected that Son of God because you loved yourself more. What does repentance involve? Number one, it involves a realization of sin. You remember when Isaiah was in the temple? He said, I beheld the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And what, what it, what's the first thing that Isaiah said? Woe. Woe is me, for I am what? Unclean. And I dwell among people who have unclean lips too. What about Peter? When he was out fishing that night, come back and caught nothing, Jesus said, try the other side. Come on, really? He throws out the other side, the boat's sinking, there's so many fish. You know what Peter does? He forget the fish. He gets to the shore, and you know what he says to Jesus? You might just want to get away from me because I'm a sinful man. Oh, listen to me. When God reveals himself to you, the first thing you become starkly aware of is the fact that you are a sinner and your sin has got you in some deep trouble. And I fear that many of us in this room right now have never been to that point. We are deluding ourselves. We're going through motions. And here's the deal. We don't even realize how bad our sin is yet. True repentance, you wake up to the reality of your sin and how bad it is. And that it is an affront to a holy God. And then it leads, we read it in 2 Corinthians 17, it leads to a regret of sin. A true godly sorrow, not because you got caught. How many of you are parents out there? Do you know the difference between them being sorry they got caught and being really sorry for what they did? Y'all know that? There's a difference. Let me tell you, if you as a fallen parent can figure that out, do you think God doesn't know that about you? I have often wondered if we could sin with impunity and never get caught, how much, how, what, are, what are we not capable of? We shudder at the murder that took place in this parking lot two nights ago. You could do the same thing. Oh, I could never. Yes, you could. If you were guaranteed you'd never be caught and punished for that, there are people that would not be alive today if you felt you could get away with it. That's how depraved our hearts are outside of Christ. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person in Lake Wildwood that wasn't capable of what happened Friday night. But oh, when you repent, not only do you realize the weight of your sin, you have a true godly regret because you broke not only God's law, but His heart. and You broke yourself against His law. And then number three, it's a rejection of sin. A realization of sin, a regret for sin, and then finally, it's a rejection of sin. Do you know what the word repentance means that Jesus is using here? It's a two-part Greek word. It means meta and noia. Noia means to think, or it's another word for the mind. Not the brain, the mind. You all know those are two different things. Yeah. Now, the mind is housed in the brain, but it's spiritual. And when that brain is rotting in the ground, when you die, your mind 
in your soul and spirit is very much alive. So are you with me? So it means the mind, the immaterial part of who you are. And what does your mind do? What's the function of your mind? It's to what? Think. I'm not trying to trick you this morning. And by the way, I learned this and it hurt my feelings. The Lord showed this to me reading His Word one day. I used to like to think, well, Lord, you know, I, I know I did that sin, but I just wasn't thinking. And boy, the Holy Spirit just said, He said, you never do anything without thinking. Your thinking is what gets you in trouble. And, and right now, you're thinking that you can lie to me and I'm going to buy it. Our problem is our thinking. And can you step back with me for a minute and, and, and just, what is in the mind of somebody, what's somebody thinking that you can point a firearm at somebody, multiple times pull the trigger, take that person's life, and walk away. We should be shocked, angry, and sorrowful over that. But can I turn that around on you? What is in your mind? What is in my mind? What is in the mind of the collective body of Christ at Lake Wildwood Baptist Church that we can let that happen on our watch? You say, well, preacher, there's nothing we can do. Yes, there is. They've been playing ball for a year. All I've done is pick up their trash and give them a Coke now and then and invite them to come and worship with us. We need more conversation. We need to be sharing the gospel and calling them to repent because if they don't repent, they too will likewise perish. It's a rejection of sin. And that word meta means to change. To, it literally means, it's kind of a weird word. It means to change with literally, let me give it meta and noia. It literally means you get a brand new mind. You get a different mind. How many of you like to have a mind change? Oil change every 3,000 miles? We need a mind change today, this morning, right now. Amen? You get your mind changed. Your mind changes about sin. I think differently about my sin. That's the realization of sin. I think differently about the consequences of my sin. That's a regret for sin. And I I have a definite change of heart and mind to hate my sin and to slay it always. And that is a rejection of sin. One of the Puritans put it this way, it is the steady renunciation of all sin. If I told you right now, flip your paper over and I'm going to give you 30 seconds and I want you to write on the back of that paper 30 seconds Every sin you committed this week that you could think of. Okay, you with me? And then just like in class, we'll trade papers and grade. No, not really. <laughs> but here's the deal. What if you did that? Brothers and sisters, if we're living this out, if we're obeying the command of Jesus, that paper should be empty. We should not be committing known sins. We have, we have too long rallied around the common denominator of our sin instead of the common factor of our Savior. And that's got to stop. 
And we have sinned to not take the gospel to this community. And I have sinned in not leading that charge. And the reason we haven't taken it to the community is you and I haven't taken it home. And we've let our homes look more like hell than heaven. And we must repent. And the reason we've let our homes slide like that is because we let our hearts slide, especially as men in this room today. We have dropped the ball. And we need to beg God for this biblical gift of repentance. And the last one in there is repentance. When will you obtain it? How long do you think you have? Seriously. You think this young man, if he knew when he walked onto the grounds of this church Friday night that in a matter of minutes he would be standing before a holy God, you think he'd have been shooting baskets or begging God for forgiveness? If he knew. How long do you think you have? You say, well, I'll repent tomorrow. I've seen people, okay, so i got to be honest. I've played that game when I was about your age, Ben. Because I loved my sin. And you all loved yours too. Some of you still love it. You're in a love affair with your own sin. I loved my sin when I was 12, 13, 14 years. I was good at it. And it brought me a lot of joy. You say, preacher, you can't say that about sin. Am I telling the truth or am I lying? The Bible says sin is great for a while. I'm paraphrasing terribly. <laughs> but ain't that true? If sin didn't pay off immediately, y'all wouldn't do it so much. Man? And I used to play this game, Ben. Well, you know what? When I get older, Mike's shaking his head. When I get older and settle down, I'm going to quit this sinning and I'm going to ask God to forgive me. You fool! Jesus called that man. Do you not know that this night your soul is going to be required of you? Oh, beloved, you cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon will be too late. He talks about an accident. In verse 4, and it's interesting, Jesus is smart. Jesus is a smart man. Because they're throwing shade on him being from Galilee. So he picks the tower in Siloam in Jerusalem in the south. He says, not just my people, your people too. <laughs> but this one's not an act of violence, it's just an accident. In a fallen world, 18 people. Tower falls, kills them. Horrible. You think they're worse sinners? And of course, everybody there would say, yeah. And same answer, absolutely not. But I'm going to tell you something. Unless you repent, you're going the same way as them. Here's the difference. It's just a matter of time. And God is patient. For which you should be grateful. And that's what the next few verses are about. And I'm going to make just a few comments. Let me read and make a couple of comments and we're going to be done. And I'm going to ask you to actually repent today. He spoke this parable. 
A certain man's got a fig tree planted in a vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. By the way, this is after six years. It takes six years. Three years for it to grow, then you should start seeing fruit. The guy said, I came for three years, nothing. Six years, this thing's been taking up space. And a vineyard, and by the way, a vineyard is there not just to grab a fig every now and then. It's there to produce and make money for the owner. By the way, you know why God saved you? He didn't save you to sit. He saved you to produce fruit and expand his kingdom. He said, you know what? I come here for three years looking for fruit in this fig tree and haven't found any. Go ahead and cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? How many of you know, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish? That's what Jesus is saying right here. And the owner, does the owner have every right to cut that tree down and plant something that's going to produce fruit? You better believe he does. But look at the heart of the keeper of the vineyard, the guy who's working for him. But he, the keeper, answered and said to him, Sir, notice the respect. Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, great. But if not, after that, notice what he says, you can cut it down. Because only the owner has the authority. By the way, I want to say right here, the only being that has the authority to take life is God himself because he's the one that gives it. What is this about? William Barclay said this about this passage. is beautiful. He says, Here is a parable at one and the same time lit by grace and close packed with warnings. This is lit by grace, but a lot of warning involved in it. There's some teeth behind the bark. Hendrickson put it this way. He said, If the central lesson of verses 1 through 5 is be converted or repent, then the central message of verses 6 through 9 is be converted now. Right away. Do not delay. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Amen? Don't you dare put that off. And notice what he does. This came to me, and I'm, this blessed me. These are hard things. God forbid that would have been my daughter's car and my grandkids. And even after I heard her voice, I felt like Dale Lanier. I cried like a baby all the way to, to when I'm pulled in the driveway. I'm like, I can't even get out of this. I, got, I look like if I had mascara, it would be running. I look like a crazy man. Winston's going to think I'm nuts. I, and, and I had to call my wife. She always talks me off the ledge. I had to call Elizabeth and tell her what happened. You could hear it, couldn't you? Even now, it just destroys me, this thought. But oh, beloved, just a matter of time. And if we don't repent, we will all likewise perish. You all know what fertilizer is, don't you? You know, you know what it is? It's rightly called waste. It's, it's stuff that the body can't use. So you get rid of it. And yet, isn't it interesting? God wastes nothing. Not even waste. 
I was at a preacher's meeting one time, and a guy got up and he said, you pastors are like a bunch of manure. All right, I'm interested in your next statement. And he said, manure is great when you spread it out, but when you get it all in a big pile, it just stinks. But this hit me. I'm reading that part and I thought that was odd. So he's going to dig around it. Why is he digging around it? Was it, Tom? Loosen up the soil and where are the roots? Down underneath. So he's digging, loosening up the soil and getting to where the roots are and he's going to put this manure in there. Why? He's going to give it every chance. So that when that tree gets cut down, it's not the vineyard keeper's fault. I want you to listen to me. You know what's manure? That kid dying in our parking lot. That's manure. You know what's manure? The people that perished in that accident in front of Anna's house. And you know what it's designed to do? It's designed to wake us up that we might bear fruit to God. Do you hear me? God uses tragedy because it's an opportunity for us to look in the mirror and not get mad at everybody else and everything else, but to look in the mirror and say, God, where did I drop the ball on this? Let revival happen. Let it start with me repenting. Our time is limited. And that's what this, this little section is so beautiful. One more year. For you, it might be in one more month. One more week, one more day. It might just be one more hour. We don't know. We don't know. Repent. Come to Christ. For time is fleeting, harden not your heart today. For it's Christ you will be meeting on that glad or dreadful day. It's never too soon to repent, but soon it may be too late. We must repent. And it starts with us personally. Then it starts with our houses and the homes and everyone that God's put underneath our authority. And if you made them, you're responsible. And everything inanimate that's under our authority. And then we have the right to talk to our neighbor. Then we have a right to demand that this neighborhood bow its knee to King Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But who do we think we are that we make those demands without doing that ourselves? God help us. Am I clear today? That's how you biblically respond to tragedy. You repent. You seek God for a new mind on this issue. A new mind on your own sin. 
A new mind on the sin of your family. A new mind on the sin of your community and your state and your nation and the world. But it starts and ends with you and God. And I want you to ask God for that gift today as you stand. Would you stand with me and let us seek God together for that gift of repentance. And if you're here today, you say, you know, I've never really, I don't, I don't know that I've really ever repented. I've never, I never really asked God to forget. I've never been broken over my sin. I've never seen my sin for what it is. See it today. Ask God for that gift right now, right to settle it right here. And let us ask God to change our hearts. Change our minds. Give us a new one over our sin. I think the ladies are going to come. We're going to sing this song. They're going to sing this song one more time, but I'm going to pray while they do. I don't want you singing. I want you to repent. I want you to act on this sermon today. Tom took this cushion and got it redone for way too much money. Amen, Tom? On this old-fashioned altar. And here's the sad truth. It hasn't been used once. And it's not that... I'm not even going to get... It's open. Let's break it in today. Why don't you come out here and cry out to God for your own heart so that we can cry out to God for the soul of this community. I used to like to say around here that the church, Lake Wildwood Baptist Church, is in the heart of Lake Wildwood for the heart of Lake Wildwood. But I can't even say that anymore because apparently it's not true. And that's got to change. It's going to start with me. It's going to start with you. And it's going to start with learning how to get on our knees before a holy God. This place is open for business. You come and cry out to God today to change our hearts and our minds. Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would draw your people. That you would give us that beautiful and great gift of repentance. We need it. We need it. We need to want to have it. We don't, we don't even have the want to. God, give us the want to. Help the games to stop today. Because we have let darkness invade because our light has been put out. Forgive us. Forgive us. We thank you for what you've done. May we not hoard it, but instead may we herald the gospel to ourselves, to our homes, to our neighbors, and to our neighborhood. And may we do it so loud and so long that the day would come that nobody would ever dream of doing such a heinous act of rebellion against you on the grounds of this holy place. Use this tragedy to clean up your people and make us alive in Jesus' name. You come. There's more room to kneel up here. You get up here. If you got to sit on the front, whatever you got to do, you pray as these ladies sing. of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary
the perfect holy one crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you want your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you ask him right now to give you that new mind seek him while he may be found we do thank you Lord that this gift is offered but may it not be squandered break our hearts awaken us to the reality of our own personal sin put your spirit in us to teach us to hate our sin to see it like you do for the vulgarity that it is and the treason. Help us to see your kindness that pulls us into repentance. May your word keep us from sin and may we sing songs like this daily that we are so thankful for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and gives us who have worked very hard for your judgment for all of eternity. We should perish. We should perish. But Lord, you have granted repentance. May we be wise and run to it today. In Jesus' name, amen.